0: Hi, my name is Pete McCall, and welcome to episode 72 of All About Fitness. Today in All About Fitness, I'm not going to talk about the traditional exercise type of fitness. I'm going to take a look at something else. I'm going to look at our financial fitness. My guest today is Taylor Schulte. Taylor is a certified financial planner and the owner of Define Financial, a financial services firm here in San Diego, California. Now, Taylor and I have a discussion about how you can do an assessment of your finances, and then how, just like you create an exercise plan to achieve a goal when it comes to working out, how you can create a plan to achieve a goal when it comes to your personal finances. So it's a fun conversation. It's definitely a little bit different than usual, but what I want to do is bring you people from other walks of life. I want to introduce you to other areas of where you can add more fitness to your life. And remember, my definition of fitness is having the ability to do what you want to do when you want to do it. So when it comes to exercise, it means you have the physical ability to go out and do the things you enjoy doing, whether you want to go surfing, hiking, biking, playing with your kids, whatever it is. Now, from a financial standpoint, it doesn't matter how much money you have, but are you financially fit? Meaning, do you have the opportunity to make good decisions? Are you saving money? Are you in debt? And we talk about that today, because if you're in debt, you want to figure out how you can get out of debt and get to an area where you save money, you have a positive, you know, positive cash flow, positive revenue stream. So we go into a lot of detail today on what you can be doing to be more financially fit. So after a brief word from the sponsor of All About Fitness, Taylor Schulte, certified financial planner and owner of Define Financial here in San Diego, California. ViCore Fitness is the maker of the new TerraCore, which is a step, bench, balance trainer, and multifaceted exercise tool combined into one single platform. Go to vicorefitness.com to see the newest piece of equipment that will be taking the fitness industry by storm in 2017. Use the code AAF to save 20% on purchasing a TerraCore of your own. TerraCore by Vicore Fitness. Vicore Fitness. Better results from better products. I'm Pete McCall with All About Fitness. Today, I'm doing something a little bit different. Rather than talking about fitness for our body, I'm going to talk about financial fitness with Taylor Schulte. Taylor, did I pronounce your last name right, first of all?
1: Uh, You're close. It's Schulte.
0: Schulte, okay. Well, can you give us a little bit of background about what you do and uh, kind of your experience as a certified financial planner?
1: Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Um, uh, I'm a a native San Diegan, and I own a financial planning firm here in town called Define Financial. And we are a commission-free financial planning firm. We work with busy professionals and retirees, uh, help them uh, build a financial plan, uh, set their financial goals, and solve complex financial issues for them. So, like you mentioned, I, I am a certified financial planner, meaning I have taken the extra steps and uh, extra education in order to get the CFP or Certified Financial Planner designation, which is which is really important. Um, I haven't seen the numbers lately, but last time I looked, only about twenty five percent of all financial advisors have the CFP designation. So uh, it, it's important. It's a big one.
0: Now, you and I have known each other for a number of years. And, and, and just let listeners know, we, we collaborated in our article a few years ago for, um, you know, financial planning for fitness professionals. And one of the things I really like ab- about your, your approach, Taylor, is that you're, you're a fee-based versus commission-based. Can you explain a little bit about that and why, you know, people, if they're looking for a financial planners, should look for a fee-based planner?
1: Yeah, this is a, a pet peeve. I'm, I'm actually going to use this as an opportunity to, to educate everybody, uh, including <laughs> including yourself. The term uh, fee-based likes to get thrown around a lot, and uh, I'll clarify what that means. But the word that you want to really look for is, is fee-only. And what fee-only means is that uh, a fee-only financial planner never sells you a product in return for a commission. A fee-only financial planner is paid by the client a transparent fee in return for unbiased advice. So if you come to me and you need help, uh, you're going to pay me a flat, transparent fee. So You know, exactly what you're paying me. And it's my job to understand who you are, what your needs are, and then go out there and shop the market and help you find the best solution at the best price. if, if I was selling a product in return for a commission, there might be a conflict of interest there. Uh, you come and sit down in my office, and I pitch you a, a, a really interesting product, and in return, I get paid a nice commission for selling that to you. And you might sit there and scratch your head and wonder is this really in my best interest or is you know taylor you know making some extra money here off me so if you work with a fee only financial planner you strip out that conflict and you know exactly what you're paying the person and exactly what you're getting in return now in between a commissioned financial advisor and a fee-only financial advisor is what's called fee-based. And fee-based is a blend of those two. Mm. So sometimes they sell you a commissioned product and sometimes they uh, charge you a transparent fee. You never really know what hat they're wearing. So it still leaves the, the consumer kind of questioning like, what, what is really going on here? So uh, fee-only is, is really the term that you want to pay attention to.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, I appreciate the clarification on that. And I'm thinking as you're discussing that, you know, what you do, isn't that, um, dissimilar from what a personal trainer does. Cause a personal trainer will do an assessment and then come up with a kind of like, here's an exercise program to help you meet your fitness goals. Is that kind of what you do? Cause you know, when we've talked, I kind of view a lot, a lot of what you do being very similar. I mean, do you sit down with, with clients and identify their needs?
1: Yeah, I mean there there are so many parallels between what we do and and what you guys do. It's really fascinating. We actually use uh, the personal trainer world all the time in conversations with clients to kind of to, to draw that similarity. Um, yeah, it's exactly what we do. You know, a lot of financial advisors that you go to that first meeting, they want to start talking about investments and how you should invest your money. And you know that'd be like a personal trainer, me going in meeting with a personal trainer and them saying, I think you should do, you know, bicep curls and squats and all this <laughs> stuff. And like, they don't even know who I am or what my goals are. Like, that's how most financial advisors operate. They, you, you walk into their office, you say, I have uh, this, this pot of money. And then they start telling you how to invest it. And like, it's just so backwards. I don't, I don't understand how that's even possible. So, um, yeah, in the very beginning of the process, we want to get to know the client, who they are, what their goals are, what their needs are, what their dreams are, what, what the past has been like, what other financial advisors have they worked with? What's worked well, what hasn't worked? Um, and we go through I mean, we go through a really comprehensive process in order to understand the client and then at the very end of that process then we're able to to deliver our recommendations to them just like a personal trainer would be able to you know draw up a, a workout routine and you know uh, nutrition and you know all that stuff so yeah i mean it's very very similar
0: yeah I, I, and, and it's interesting i don't know if i remember if we if I remember telling you this but a number of years ago before i got into fitness i did what colors your parachute and i'm talking this is like late 90s and before I got into fitness, I was really I was looking at both because my undergrad degree is actually in economics and government. Fitness was something I, I got into later, and I went back and got a master's degree for it. But when I was looking at it, Taylor, I was really looking at, do I want to go into, fit, into fitness or financial services? And this was about 98. If I had done that in 98, it probably would have been a, a good time to do it, given the dot-com probably. bubble. Yeah. But, you know, but the, lot, the, the parallel is you're providing a service as a trainer, I'm providing an intangible service. And as a certified financial planner, you don't, you're not selling a, a tangible product. I mean, you kind of are, but you're really providing a service. What, you know, what is your approach? I mean, you, when you sit down and, and you start working with somebody, how do you really outline their needs and what their goals are? Do you have any forms you use or, or, or what's, what's your process?
1: Yeah, I, I guess I'd, I'd back up and say, I think you hit on something really important and, and that is that it's intangible and you don't see the result immediately. Um, and I think personal trainers have this the same problem, um, but in financial planning, it's, it's a little more complicated because people just don't quite understand all the time what what a financial plan or a financial planner really does. So, yeah, it's it, it's really challenging uh, to it, to to show a client the value that we're going to provide, and it's value that they may not even see for years I mean it could be 10 years before they really see uh, you know the true value of all the hard work that we put in and they put in so yeah it's really challenging but uh, you know one of the tools that that we use to help showcase that value and walk the client through that process and, and really um, uh, show them exactly what we're doing um, is technology and, and we use a really um, in-depth financial planning software where uh, clients connect all of their financial accounts, including checkings and savings and credit cards. And we input mortgages and their budget and everything goes into this financial planning software. So we've got this nice, super clean, really nice dashboard where we can all log into and view the client's financial life and work through the financial plan from there. So that turns, you know, this intangible process into something tangible. Uh, and so that, that's kind of where we work and kind of where we've gone is it investing really heavily into technology.
0: And and that sounds really cool. So, you know, kind of asking the question here, you know, I'm in my 40s, and and I try to really gear this podcast to people, you know, in their 30s and above, and how they can use fitness to really manage the the effects of the aging process. For somebody, you know, how how should somebody be, be looking at their financial future? You know, if somebody's in their 30s or 40s, is there any kind of guideline or any kind of like, point they want to be at or, or any kind of sketch they want to use for saving for their future and i'll keep i am just thinking you know I'm thinking Taylor, as I asked this question this is very nebulous like you know when I talk with with a fitness expert, it's really hard to provide specific fitness advice without seeing a specific individual a- and identifying what their needs are so this is just in general terms you know kind of what should people be looking to in their thirties and forties in terms of saving for their future
1: yeah i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna take this back to the basics and if you want to Get more specific on stuff, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. But uh, I'm really going to take this back to the basics. And what I'm going to say is that the very first thing that you should do, or at least check and make sure that you're doing, is developing good habits. And I think one of the parallels we can draw here to your world is. Like uh, imagine, uh, you know, a couch potato that just does nothing and eats like crap coming to you and saying, hey, Pete, I want to compete in the CrossFit games, right? And you're like, (laughs) like, okay, you know, there's there's a big gap here to fill. And so when I say developing good habits, uh, you know, how much would you love if that person just... Just develop some some good habits on their own. It doesn't need to be anything crazy, right? They don't need to be, you know, in the gym every single day lifting heavy weights. But like if that person was walking on the treadmill 20 minutes a day, you know, three days a week, and you know, maybe they cut out soda from their diet. And they just have the, kind of the, some of these small wins and they've started to develop some really good habits early on. Like that, that's what I want to see everybody do. Because what's what's really crazy is our behaviors, habits, and attitudes towards money and our finances, they start around age seven. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay? And we all know the lack of education around finances and money and, and, you know, the high school and, and college level, let alone, you know, grade school level. But these habits start really, really early. So if you're Thirty-five, forty, 40. And like, you can't understand why you're still living paycheck to paycheck and can't put money away. It's probably because you learned something really early on, uh, that stuck with you for this long. So the first thing is, is get in those good habits today. And it doesn't need, just like my fitness example, it doesn't need to meet, you know I mean? Like you need to put away, you know, $50,000 per year, you know, start with something simple, like, you know, start putting away 50 bucks a month, like just get that habit going and get in that habit of doing it. Um, You know, and, and then we can kind of go from there. We could talk through some additional things that you could do. But to me, that is the most important thing to do: is get in those good habits today.
0: Well, that's that's one thing I did early on when I started, you know, personal training full time back in in nineteen ninety nine two thousand. I really, you know, based on advice that an older friend had given me, um, I, I started doing fifteen to eighteen percent of my paycheck into a four hundred one k right away. And you know, that's one of the reasons why, personally, I never went to do an in home personal training because I wanted to keep it in the health club. Because every time for every hour I worked in the health club, you know, I was saving like $7 into my retirement plan. And I, I just knew that, you know, I, I could be making probably twice as much money doing in home training. But to me, Taylor, that $7 per hour going into a tax free retirement is going to work be worth, you know, thousands of dollars, you know, in 30 years, you know, when I get a little bit older, you yeah. know, is how important is, you know, to get so the, the, my question is, and I try to point this out to young fitness professionals all the time. How important is it to start early, and why should people take advantage of any tax free any tax free plans they have to work? Uh, yeah, and, and before before I answer that, I want to ask you when when you were making
1: those contributions, you know, albeit you know seven bucks a paycheck, um, did that automatically come out of your paycheck?
0: Yeah, well, it was seven bucks per hour. So the way I seven bucks per hour. Sorry. Yeah, so so, but it's every seven dollars of every hour I worked was right. going in my four hundred one k. And yeah, it went directly. Out, it came out of my paycheck, and the company matched five hundred dollars per year, which isn't a lot, but as a full time, tra- I mean, that's an extra. I mean, five hundred bucks, you know, amortized over thirty years is going to be you know a chunk of change.
1: Yeah. So, so this is something really important that I want to hit on, uh, because you brought it up is, is that automation component. And it sounds really simple and really silly and yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can't stress enough how important that automation component is. So it's nice for you that you had that built into your payroll and it was automatically deducted and, and put into the retirement account. But a lot of people, a lot of, you know, independent contractors, like personal trainers, they don't have that that luxury but they can set it up on their own so i don't care if you're moving money from your checking account to your savings account go log into your bank account and set up an automatic savings plan so every month on the 15th of the month you move you know 50 bucks you know from this account to this account and just set up that automation because if you have to log in every single paycheck you receive and manually move that money from, you know, account X to account Y, you're just not, like, you're not going to do it. Um, So that automation feature is so critical for long-term success. And it's great when it's built in, you know, in the workplace, but there's a lot of people that just don't have that luxury. So, you know, you've got to take responsibility and put that into place. But I mean, I can't stress that enough. So develop those good habits and then build an automated process.
0: And we talked one time about, Um, you know, long-term you know, long-term interest and, and why interest is so important. And it's funny because I, you know, I consider myself a dividend investor. You know, I, I bought a few share, a few you know shares in a few companies that pay a strong, healthy dividend. And I was looking at at, at some of my um, my portfolio last night in, in preparation for our discussion today. And it's interesting. One company I bought, you know, four years ago, I've now doubled the number of shares I have based on the dividend reinvestment. And it's not. I look at it. My point of view is I'm trying to develop um, accumulation of shares. And not just an accumulation of dollar value. It, how important is it to, to think long term like that and look at the overall accumulation and how quickly can the interest add up?
1: Yeah. And then this kind of goes into your question you know, that I didn't answer about you know, starting this process early. And if you're in your 30s or 40s, you're young because – uh, you know, our, our life expectancy is just getting longer and longer. And we have something that a lot of people don't, which is time. We've got time on our side. So we have time for our savings and our investments to compound. And that compounding effect is really, really, really powerful. So starting, uh, you know, starting yesterday is is really important. (laughs) Um, but yeah, to, you know, to your question, uh, yeah, I mean, look, uh, you know, dividends are a piece of the total return of a portfolio. When, when you see the stock market on TV moving up and down, you're seeing price appreciation. You're seeing the stock market go from, you know, Twenty-four thousand to twenty-four thousand two hundred. That that that's price appreciation. But you know, companies pay dividends too, like you talked about, and that's another component to the return of a portfolio. Um, uh, You know, I would just say on uh, just one one little thing on dividends is I I would never suggest that you you buy a stock or buy an investment just because it pays a dividend. Um, There's really no no merit to that. There's a lot of headlines that talk about dividend paying stocks being a safe investment, but but I'll tell you, it's, it's a myth. It's just not true. Um, Sure, you could have a a nice balanced portfolio that does pay some dividends, but that's just one component of the whole portfolio. Um, But I think think one thing that you're kind of getting at was putting this portfolio together and then giving it time, like giving it time to work. Let those dividends reinvest, and don't touch it. And one thing I heard on your podcast that I really liked—I forget the guest name—is a, a recent guest of yours talked about how important uh, sleep was for uh, you know people people training. And he equate. I love the analogy he used about you know you could have the best cookie dough in the world and make the best cookies, but you have to put them in the oven and and let them bake and give them time. And the same thing is true for your money and your investments, you could have a world-class portfolio put together, the best portfolio in the world. But if you don't put that thing in the oven and let it cook and give it time, it's not going to work. And now, you know, you mentioned four years, four years is a short time period. You know, look at someone like Warren Buffett. You want to know why he's so successful? It's because he hasn't touched his investments for like 50 years. Um, so it's really, really, really important, um, you know, to put together a sound portfolio, um, it has academic merit to it, but let it, let it breathe, let it work, let it cook
0: and that's you know it it's it's fun always to talk about this with you because that's kind of what I do is I look at different I look at the long term and I really try to take that overall view. And I don't just you know you know I appreciate you're absolutely right you know dividends dividends aren't the only thing Um, we're both you know Taylor and I were talking right before we started recording my kids are now you know ages three and five and Taylor's a recent recent father himself and one of the things I did when we found out we were pregnant Taylor is I bought uh, shares in Procter and Gamble and Disney Um, and I kind of took the long view knowing that a those are very solid companies are relatively well managed they they you know reinvest in their own infrastructure but i also knew that i f- would feel better every time i changed a diaper Knowing that at least a tenth of a cent was going back into my own pocket, or that every time I bought a Disney video, <laughs> that was kind of paying myself, and I kind of, you know, I took that kind of from uh, Warren Buffett's plan of, of investing in companies that you know. How important is, is it to, and, and where I want to go with that is, is I would do the research on various companies before buying shares and really look at their overall strategy. For people that don't have time for that, and, and they just want to have a good solid, um, a good solid portfolio. How important is it to, to do a day-to-day management, or is it just better to put assets into a, some kind of index fund and just kind of um, trust that, that the fund will do what it needs to do for the long term?
1: Yeah, it, it, you hit on something really important, and that is it is so critical that whatever you invest in, um, you know, if it is individual stocks, um, that you know what you own and you know why you own it in your portfolio. You may love Under Armour. And want to buy Under Armour, you know that's great if you want to just speculate and you know buy a lotto ticket. But um, you should really know and understand why you own something and why it has a place in your portfolio. And for most people, you're right; you don't have time to do research on individual stocks. It it really is. I mean, it's a full time job. In addition, I mean, you really need to own hundreds of securities in order to be properly diversified and managing 100 different individual stocks would would be really challenging for most people. So I, I don't advocate buying individual stocks if you want to have a fun little side portfolio where you, you know, buy some of these fun stocks and watch them go up and down, that's fine. But, um, just, just, uh, I would go into it with the expectation that you could lose everything. And so just be okay with that. And that's your fun little play account, but for your long-term hard earned money that you're saving and you don't have time to manage every little position. Um, yeah, index funds are, are the way to go. And I say index funds, um, they are an investment that tracks an index. So an example of an index would be the S&P 500. You know, you turn on CNBC and they'll tell you what the S&P 500 is doing today. Well, if you buy an S&P 500 index fund, uh, you will get the return of the S&P 500 index fund minus a tiny little fee. The fees are, are really small. Um, so you're basically getting market returns. You're not going to beat the market, but you're going to get market returns, and um, that, you know, th- that's really all we need to do. Um, even the best of, and the brightest that are out there, they can't even beat the market consistently. So wh- why should some little you know retail investor like ourselves? Wh- why should we try and beat the market? Um, and then one other thing I want to add is, um, I, you know, I mentioned fees. The nice thing about index. Funds, and Vanguard is a good example of an index fund provider. Index funds are very cheap. Uh, and fees, the amount you pay to invest is the best predictor for future returns. So nobody has a crystal ball. No one knows what the future holds. But if there's one thing that you want to do to put yourself in the best possible position for success is to reduce the amount of fees as much as possible. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't go hire a financial planner and pay them a fee. You know, you, you, you may need professional help and that costs money. But when you buy an investment, Even if it's a a stock and you pay a fee to trade it or you buy an index fund and there's a small fee behind the scenes that you don't see, um, you need to be aware of these things because they add up. Um, So be very, very conscious of of fees in your investment portfolio.
0: And that's such an important thing. and I want to hit on one or two things that you said there because I think you you know, I, I really appreciate that insight. And because, yeah, that's one of the things that I've done is I have a large percentage of, of my personal portfolio in index funds. And I also do sector funds like industrials, consumer based stuff. And, but that's just, again, based on the research I do. I don't, I don't buy anything without first, um, looking at it. You know, the, the nice thing about the account I have, the trading account I have through Fidelity is I have access to a lot of, um, different, uh, what are they called? The, the researchers, the, um, What's the type of analyst analyst? Yeah, they, they post a lot of analyst uh, things up there. And I always read two or three positive and I read two or three negative and I try to figure out, you know, for my needs, what's going to be the best thing. Um, but that's one of the things I've read over the years is is the fees is really managing and watching the fees. And I can tell you that it, it does add up over time. And so, personally, I've, I've kind of gone, you know, I have some index stuff, I have some sector stuff, but I also, the companies I, I invest in, as I mentioned, are stuff, products that personally I use or I know that are going to have um, a relatively inelastic effect on the economy. And the interesting thing is, and, and I really um, ask your question about in a second, But the interesting thing is, you know, I was very fortunate to have some extra money in 2009 that wasn't in the market. So when the market tanked, I've been, you know, I was buying on the way up. And, you know, the one of the one things I want to ask you is, is it possible to time the market? I got extremely fortunate, Taylor, in that I did the research and I haven't made a ton of money, but I was buying and you know trading as the market was coming back from 2009, 2010 on. Is it possible to time the market and, and why or why not? Sure. I, I I don't
1: care what anybody says, what any pundit on, on television says or any analyst. Uh, it is completely impossible to time the market. Um, you could get lucky. You could get lucky once. But remember, you have to be right twice. You have to know when to get out and then you have to know when to get back in. And even the best and the brightest Nobel Prize winning economists and analysts – Nobody can do it. Nobody can be right twice consistently. Again, somebody might get lucky once or twice here or there, but to consistently do it over the next 10, 20, 30 years, which is the normal you know, time horizon for people in their 30s and 40s, it's completely impossible. Um, there, there's a quote out there. I think, I think it's Warren Buffett, but it says something like, um, the stock market is the only place where things go on sale and everybody runs out of the store. So, and <laughs> yeah. I think it's it's so important to think, especially if you're in, in your 40s and you have a longer time horizon, to, to get in that mindset that if the market, you know, there's a lot of talk today about market being at all time highs and maybe we're in a bubble. And get in this mindset that if the market corrects and we see a drop in value of a 10% or 20%, like that's an opportunity. You get to buy. You know, you get to buy into your portfolio at a lower price. That's a good thing. You know, if your favorite pair of jeans at the store just got cut in half, you get to buy your favorite pair of jeans, you know, 50 percent cheaper. Um, Take that same approach with your investments, especially when you have a long time horizon. Now, you know, if you're 65 and and you know near retirement, different story. But you should also have a different portfolio too. Um, So, yeah. Uh, outguessing the market, it, it's a completely impossible. Sure, you can look at track records of fund managers who have um, done an incredible job over the last 10 years or 20 years. But I'll tell you what, research says that the people that did well over the last 12, 10 or 20 years, they go on to underperform over the next 10 or 20 years, because it's just impossible to maintain that consistency.
0: Yeah, well, I want to say right off the bat that I, I fully recognize that, that I got lucky. And, and we the, the, what had happened is we had sold a house and in the mid 2000s before the bubble. And that was pure luck. And when we, if we had waited another three months to sell that house, Taylor, then, then the, um, the third quarter housing numbers for 2006 would have come in and we would have taken a haircut on it. But we, we got lucky selling when we did and closing when we did. And so I had some, some money available in 2009 and I know I can't time the market fundamentally. And I know just like, you know, you know, with with fitness is you, you have to think about the long term. You can't, you know, just get shredded in in three weeks. That's not possible. You know, you you, you can't do it safely and you can't do it effectively. And, um, you know, I do look at anytime it's tough because you have money in the market. Anytime there's a down day, I just kind of sit back and know that, you know, Hey, in the long run, you, you know, it reverts back to the mean. And you know, before before I have you uh, go into to some of your specific advice, I want to point out for listeners that one of the big trends the last few years has been, I think CalPERS started it, and maybe I'm wrong, but California is the uh, CalPERS is the California Public Employee Retirement System, but they've moved away from the expensive hedge fund managers, which take two percent of your profits, and they've been moving into index funds with Vanguard. Because, you know, what we've seen since, I think, 2009, 2010, and correct me if I'm wrong, Taylor, but what we've seen is that index funds have outperformed expensive hedge fund managers, and that, in fact, a lot of hedge funds have been having serious issues the last few years as people have been making withdrawals. Am I am I right in that and what I've been reading the financial presses?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, that, that did happen. There's a lot of big institutions uh, pulling out of the hedge fund world. It's not because these hedge fund managers are, aren't smart or aren't bright or don't do a good job. It's because of what you said It's because of the fees. Uh, the fees are so high that they can't make up for, uh, you know, the rest of the portfolio. So net of all fees, you're, you're losing money. It's just, it's, it's not a winner's game. So yeah, if you could cut hedge fund fees in half or by 75%, like you know, now we're starting to look at a different story. But um, yeah, fees are just such a, a powerful piece of the portfolio and people are starting to recognize this. Um, and there's a lot of transparency. You know, I also want to say, think about your investment portfolio, you know, your retirement account, your stocks and bonds. Think about it like um like you're you're like buying a home, like real estate. If you if you buy uh, a home you know, the nice thing is, is you don't see it trading on a stock exchange day to day. So you don't see your home price fluctuate in value every single day. Uh, but it is, you know, the market changes every day. Um, if your home dropped in price by 10 or 20 percent, are you going to go and, and liquidate your home? Probably <laughs> not. Like You're going to say, OK, our home dropped in value. We're going through uh, a little change in the economy we're going to hunker down and stay put and you know when it comes back up then we'll reevaluate and that's how you should view your portfolio too the, you know it's not easy to watch there's a ton of transparency these days we got media and social media and everything in our face um but you got to think about it like that like these investments are going to fluctuate they are going to drop in value i promise you we will have another recession yeah. you will see a stock portfolio get cut in half again like it will happen so um, you know, take that long term approach, but also think about it like, you know, you don't need to panic and, and do something about it. You can wait and take a deep breath and reevaluate when you know
0: things normalize. And, and personally, I mean, and this is no advice for listeners. This is just what I've done personally and based on my, my education and my research. But personally, that's why, Taylor, I keep a percentage of my portfolio in cash. Because I know that when the market does have, if the market does go down, that is is just, as you said a few minutes ago, that's a tremendous buying opportunity. And so, you know, I, I do, you know, I, I feel that cash, you're not getting a great return. But at least you have, I keep it there, A, for in case, heaven forbid, an emergency happens and, you know, kids need new braces and the car blows up and all that stuff happens. We have it. But I also keep it for, you know, for that opportunity of knowing that, hey, when the market, and it's not if, you're right, it's when. When the market does um, have, when we go through a down cycle, I'm going to look at that as, okay, great, here's a chance to go pick up some stuff on sale. Because going back to the example, I mean, I see Buffett doing that all the time. I mean, he did that with, what, CSX and GE and a couple of big companies back in uh, 2009, 2010. He really uh, came in heavy on that. So I, you know, I, I think that's a, that's great advice. Now you mentioned you have a few tips for people to think about it, you know, for their, um, for their financial planning. I'm not sure how many we've hit, but, but let me have you go into them because I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear this stuff.
1: Sure. And I'll, I'll just share a little something just to shed some light on, on what you said about cash. We might have a difference in philosophies and that's okay. Everyone has their own and, and you need to find what your own beliefs and philosophies are and you need to believe in it and own it. Um, yeah, ca- cash is king. And when you do go through tough times, it's, it's really nice to have cash. Um, you can pick up things like houses and cars and stocks at a cheaper price. Um, but there's something called cash drag. And like you said, cash doesn't earn you much money. So that's, that's a drag on your total portfolio. And so for normal people like us, long-term investors, I, I wouldn't advocate holding cash as a way to capitalize on a potential opportunity because we just don't know when that's going to occur. What I do want to see is someone hold an emergency savings account uh, like like you alluded to. You know, you should have three to six months of living expenses, maybe even a little bit more sitting in cash, out of sight, out of mind in case something happens to you. But the rest of your money, in my belief, my philosophy, it should be invested in a diversified portfolio because get this, the stock market goes up two thirds of the time, 66% of the time, the stock market is going up. So if you're in cash, you're missing out two thirds of the time on price, uh, on a price increase. Now, one third of the time we go through, you know, some nasty stuff. So, um, you know, to each their own. And, um, uh, you know, again, there might be a difference in philosophy, but uh, I just, I thought I'd just share a little bit on, on my view on on cash and, and how that, you know, looks in somebody's financial profile.
0: And I totally, you know, that's the one, that's exactly what I've done is, is we, we carry about a year. I carry about a year's worth of our expenses um, in cash and, and that's excessive um, because I know that the advice is three or six months, but I, I keep a year just heaven forbid anything serious happens. But it also is, as you mentioned, is, is for the, um, you know, for the buying opportunity. So if I peel, peel it back to six or nine months of a, of a, you know, savings of a savings cushion, you know, that's fine. And then, you know, it just, it looks at that, you know, and, and I appreciate that. The one thing I like about fitness and finance and everything is you have evidence-based research that says, Hey, here's what we've observed over time. You know, when somebody mm-hmm. does a study on exercise science, they can say, here's what we see based on our, our, our observation of certain parameters of certain variables finance is the same way. And yep. I, I love hearing different people's opinions. Um, you know, in this day and age, you always get people saying, I'm right, you're wrong. And you know, I, this is this is enlightening. And I appreciate you. know I appreciate the insight. And, and I always appreciate different opinions, because you're going, you know, you're working off a base of, of what you've seen and experienced and read. And, you know, it's always, it's always good to get different insights and opinions, whether it's, yeah. you know, exercise science or, or finance. So you mentioned you have some specific tips for people, you know, and, and you know, I'd like, I'd love to hear them. And, and obviously, you know, I'd love to have you share them with, with the listeners.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, we, we did actually hit on a few of them, which is good. Um, I think I think we've got a couple left. Um, you know, the, the one the one. Thing that I think you should start with, in, in addition to developing those good habits and getting things going there, um, and this is again very similar to, similar to your world is identifying your goals and creating a plan. So before you just go start throwing money into index funds and stocks and bonds and everything else, sit down, identify your goals, and create a plan. So you know, um, you know, if it was a fitness goal, such as you know, I want to improve flexibility or strength or lower body fat. You want to write those down or or talk to somebody about them. But um, in our world, I think it's really important to actually write those things down. Don't, don't just sit there and talk to your spouse over a glass of wine about what your goals and fantasies are for the future. Write those things down. Like Write down specifically what your goals are and, and start to build out that plan. And that plan doesn't need to be a 50-page financial plan or anything like that. Um, there's a great book by uh, a guy named Carl Richards called the one page financial plan. And he walks you through how to build that one page plan for you and your family. So it it doesn't need to be anything elaborate. Um, but it is really important to actually put a pen to paper and write that down. So it could be something really simple. Like, you know, I want to retire at age 65 and I need $75,000 per year in today's terms to live off of, um, your financial plan is a living and breathing document. It's always going to change and evolve. It's not a one and done type thing. So, don't get paralyzed and do nothing at all because you think you need this big fancy financial plan and you know all these numbers and Excel sheets. You, you, you don't like just start really simple. And I, I think I, I think you would uh, I think that would resonate with you and, and your audience from a personal training standpoint. Like let's let's just start simple, right? Start with a simple plan. Let's, let's get you in the gym three days a week and uh, you know eating some good food. Let's start there, and then we'll kind of build uh, build on that and watch that compound.
0: I, I, I lo- one of the things I. would love what you said is it's a living document it's going to evolve because fitness is the same way i mean you can go through different periods where there's some periods you want to work on strength some periods you want to work on you know aerobic endurance and i think that's a a a great a great outlook and and people i think listeners can relate to that and and i'm sitting here thinking i'm like geez, monica and i haven't sat down and put pen to paper in a while i mean we we have discussed it um i love that you know because you're right it's a dream until you i think uh, daryl green the former uh cornerback for the Washington Redskins I I heard him say and I'm sure he got it from somebody else but it's a dream until you write it down and once you write it down it becomes a goal and Mm -hmm. and that I think that's a very important reminder for 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 finance as well as fitness what are some other tips that uh, that you would recommend
1: yeah. And before I, I get there, I'll, I'll just say, you know, you hit on something else really important, that is communication with your spouse. Um, you know, a lot of times we see one spouse more engaged than the other. And that's that's a recipe for disaster. Bo- both people need to be in on the process. And, you know, you, you guys could have different goals. That, that's okay. You could have different um, risk uh, tolerances for your investments, and that's okay. <laughs> but there should be communication there. So what I really advocate for for spouses is what we call it in my house a financial roundtable. So you know it could be once a year, it could be every six months or every quarter. Carve out some time. Could be you know just an hour. Sit around the table. Get your papers, documents, your computer, whatever you use and go through things, and just get on the same page. I mean, in my house, I mean, I'll, I'll, admit my wife will admit like, she doesn't look at our bank account. She just doesn't like, she doesn't look at our credit cards. Um, I'm the one who just has kind of taken that over and manages it all naturally, I guess, because yeah. <laughs> that's what I do for a living. But yeah. it's so important for her to understand where things are at and what they're doing. And so that financial roundtable just gives us an opportunity to get back on the same page and say, look, here's where we're at. And Um, you know, answer her questions and make sure that she understands because the last thing I want her to do is be completely blindsided. Um, but I also want us to be aligned and on the same page and, and working towards the same thing. So
0: communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, it, it's really, really important. I, I agree with you a thousand percent. And it's so funny because you know, you know my wife, and um, and and she just isn't that engaged. But anytime I make anytime I make changes, anytime I, I think about changing our portfolio, I talk with her about it, and she just kind of like, what? She trusts me, but <laughs> I, I just I don't want her to be. You're right. I don't want her to be blindsided, and it's half her money. I mean, it's it, I don't yeah. I'm, I want to be completely, transparent with her and say, here's why I'm making this move. Here's what I think. Here's what the, you know, here's what the research says. Here's what I've read and and here are the different, you know, points of view on it. And I I treat it like a board of directors. I treat my wife kind of like a board of directors or like a shareholder meeting. And we try to sit down, you know, maybe two or three times a year. If I'm going to rebalance the portfolio, um, I tell her, I inform her of it and say, here's what I'm doing. And she's like, okay, great. You know, it doesn't really pay too much attention, but I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, because the last thing I would want to do is come to her and be like, um, yeah, that whole, that investment thing I tried. Yeah. (laughs) Um, how do you feel about getting a third job? (laughs) You know, I mean, I I think that's key. I think, I think you're right. And I treat it. That's exactly how I treat it. It's like, I think of her as my board of directors, or I think of her as my shareholders. I am responsible to her to show her that, that I am, you know, taking managing our, our assets in in a, you know, in in a smart manner.
1: Yep. Yeah. No, it, it, it's critical.
0: It's really important. What's, uh, what's some other advice you got before we get out of here?
1: Yeah. So th- my, my last piece of advice, and I think we've a really good conversation around this, is you know you can do all all these amazing things. You could have a great portfolio. You could have great habits. You could have a great plan written down. You're communicating with your spouse. You're automating your savings. And you've got everything dialed in. Uh, but the last critical piece is, is accountability. And accountability is really, really, really important. You don't have someone or something holding you accountable to doing these things over long periods of time. Uh, you're you're likely to to fail. So, you know, the same thing could be said for for fitness. I could have an amazing nutrition plan and you could give me the best workout program. Everything's on paper. I've everything I need to be in the best shape of my life, but if I don't have someone or something holding me accountable to that, like I probably won't follow through. So, it it doesn't mean that you have to hire a financial planner, a financial advisor, um or, you know, in your case, you don't have to hire a personal trainer. An accountability partner could be your spouse. I I probably, I'm probably in the gym more often because I know, you know, my wife motivates me. She wants to see me active. She knows I need to be active. It's good for my health. It's good for my work. It's good for our relationship. So that's a good motivating factor to me. One time she dangled a a pair of new golf clubs in front of me to help motivate me. Um, So like, it doesn't need to mean you need to go hire a personal trainer and pay them a hundred bucks, you know, an hour or anything like that. Um, But find someone or something to hold you accountable to doing all these important things that you've worked so hard to put together. Um, you know. Again, it could, could be your brother or your best friend or something. Um, for some, it could be hiring a professional. Um, I'm that type of person that I really, I know that if I don't, well, I should say, I, I can see the difference when I hire a, a personal trainer than when I try to do it on my own. I work out harder. I eat better. I just have that person just over my shoulder you know, making sure I'm doing these things. And most importantly, I don't want to let them down. So I see a big difference in my health when I have that professional. So in some cases, um, you might you might hire a financial planner. Um one of the most frequent questions I get is, how do I know that I need a financial planner?" And I'll, I'll just I just kind of say this. like you'll know when life starts to get more complicated, um you're making more money, or you have a major life event, like a marriage or you're having kids or you get an inheritance. You know, God forbid there's a death or divorce. These major things start to happen and you start to feel overwhelmed about life and your finances that might be kind of a hint that maybe it's time for a professional to get involved. You know, if I don't have a job and I don't have much going on in my life, like it's really easy for me to get to the gym and, you know, maybe use YouTube or some other, you know, channel that to help me in the gym. And that's easy. But when I've got work and I've got a baby, and I've got a wife and I've got a house, I've got all these things like having a personal trainer on my calendar three or four days a week is is really important
0: that's 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 such a good that's such a good parallel taylor i really you know because it is holding it is holding somebody accountable and it really is you know we talked about it for the long term but yeah i'll let you finish it up
1: yeah i just i want to i want to use this opportunity to educate um if you do think you need a financial planner or you're interested in a financial planner i've got one piece of advice it's really 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 simple um the best, the single best question that you can ask any potential financial planner that you're, you're looking to hire is this, are you a fiduciary 100% of the time? If the answer is no, then run far away and go find <laughs> someone who is. So consumers' eyes glaze over when we use the term fiduciary. I don't know why. Um, fiduciary simply means this, that uh, as a fiduciary, uh, I need to put your interest, the client, I need to put your interest before my own. I'm legally required to put your interest first. That's what it means. And you'd think that all financial advisors should should act as a fiduciary, but unfortunately, uh, they don't. Um, so, it's the single most important thing that you could do is if you're going to hire a financial planner, make sure that they are a fiduciary 100% of the time. I say 100% because there are some people out there that are sometimes a fiduciary and sometimes they're not. So you just don't know what, what hat they're wearing. So an easy way to go find a fiduciary in your neighborhood is to go to a website called napfa.org. Uh, that's N is in Nancy, A, P is in Paul, F is in Frank, A org, napfa.org, put in your zip code and it'll pull up a list of fee-only fiduciary financial planners in your area and that's the best first step that you could do.
0: I, I, I laughed there Taylor because that's that's my advice for fitness for people for fitness a lot of times is if you ask a personal trainer and they just start giving you advice without asking about your needs, my response is your first exercise is to turn and run away. So you said, <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. So it's almost exactly the same thing. And now just for listeners, I probably should have stated this early on I mean you and I I haven't hired you as a as a fiduciary as a, uh, as a certified financial planner, although after this conversation, I might be giving you a call. Um, but I just, you know, we have a, we have a, a relationship and I really respect uh, what you've done as, as, as a professional. Now, so you're, you're, what's the name of your, your company? And You also do a podcast now, don't you?
1: I do. Yeah. So the na- name of my uh, firm is Define Financial. Um, our, our website's definefinancial.com. But uh, you know, I, there's only so much time in the day. I can only help so many people. And so I decided to launch a, a second website. It's called stay wealthy, San Diego, uh, obviously a spin on the stay classy, Ron <laughs> Burgundy. Um, and it's really a, a place for me to, to just, uh, educate consumers and share my knowledge with the world and, and reach a larger audience. I, I have, you know, no, no motive there. As you can tell, I'm just, I'm, I'm really passionate about educating people and, um, you know, sharing that knowledge. And so stay wealthy, San diego. Is my you know area and avenue to do that. Um, and yeah, I, I decided to to jump into the podcast world, and you know it's called the Stay Wealthy San Diego podcast. It's actually nothing to do with personal finance. Um, I have interviewed some some financial planners here in the area, uh, but it's really a podcast interviewing. Uh, the top entrepreneurs, uh, leaders, and innovators here in San Diego. You know, it's such a fascinating city, and so many neat businesses and and whatnot. I just kind of wanted to explore the city and and highlight them and what they're doing and how they got so successful and. Um, so I think we just wrapped up our eighth episode, and uh, yeah, it's, podcasting is really, really, really hard.
0: <laughs> it's hard, but it's a lot of fun. And I think you know, when I saw that, you know, when I saw you post about doing the podcast, and and we had talked about this a while back, and and I really, you know, I have a lot of respect for you. Just you know, I've, we've known each other what almost ten years now, and um, just seeing you go and starting your own firm and everything you've done, I have a tremendous amount of respect. And and what you said, you and I have a very similar approach. We're both looking to help people in our respective fields, and that's why I want to have you on taylor is because i really respect your knowledge and i know that that with what you do in your business you put your clients first and when it comes to finance i want people to be financially healthy as well as i want them to be physically healthy so <clears throat> excuse me that's why i wanted to, to have you on discuss that and for people listening i'll have both your i'll have both your websites um down below in the show notes so they can refer to them in the future and any final bit of advice about uh about financial uh, long-term financial success
1: I you know, I I think we we covered a lot. I, I guess I would just say thank you for having me on and give me the opportunity to uh, you know to educate and uh, you know share share my views and and, and give some advice to people. Um, I'd say this I'm I'm really really accessible if anybody listening to this just has a basic question. Uh, you don't need to hire me. You don't need to work with me. I, you know, there's not a sales pitch, but if you just have a general question, uh, shoot me an email. I, I, I return every single email I get. Um, uh, my email address is, is taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R at definedfinancial.com. Just shoot me an email. I'll, I'll, I'm happy to help and, and respond. And um, yeah, there's, there's zero obligation whatsoever. I, uh, if, if you can't tell, I'm just, I truly love what I do. I'm, I'm really passionate about it. And again, I, I really appreciate you having me on.
0: Hey, man, I really appreciate your time. So uh, thanks. I'll look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, Pete. One of the things I really enjoy about doing this podcast is, is when I learn things from the, from my guests. You know, as if you heard me with other guests on, I may not always agree with them or may have a different point of view. But anytime I have somebody on, whether they're an exercise expert, a researcher, a professor, or in this case, Taylor's a financial you know financial services professional, I try to have an open mind. I try to you know listen and I try to hear what they're saying. So it's kind of cool to have Taylor you know talk to me you know talk about a few different ideas. Yeah, I've been doing my own investing for a number of years. You know, I, I've known Taylor now for a number of years as well. And I don't talk about this that much, but, I, was, you know, my, my original undergraduate degree was in government and economics. So that's where, you know, investment has been kind of a hobby of mine for probably about 15 years now. Started out with a little bit of money, and I still don't have a ton of money, but um, I've, you know, done pretty okay in the market, especially since 2009, you know. You know, when, I, when the market went down, I, you know, we had a little bit of, thankfully, we had a little money in the bank and I was able to take advantage of that. And so, as the market's been coming back since 2009, um, yeah, I've, I've done pretty okay, you know, through investing. So, that's what I wanted to have Taylor on because he has a really good understanding of what the, the average person needs for financial fitness. You know, I like the way he referred back to, you know, if you make a workout plan, you know what you're going to do in the gym. We should have the same plan for what we want to do with our finances. And after we buy our next house, you know, right now we sold a house a while ago, and uh, we're in the market for a house in North County, San Diego. After we buy our next house, I'm actually going to be um, working with Taylor a little bit just to make sure that we are where I want to be. You know that some of my investment strategies are um, are pretty sound. You know, I try to I don't I try not to be too fancy. You know, my idea of investing is, is I don't want to get rich quick. I don't. You know, obviously, if I get a stock that's going to blow up, but whatever. I mean, the idea is I want to just be I want to make sure that my money is earning more than than the rate of inflation. You know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but if you have your money in a savings account, you're actually losing money. I think inflation is right around two percent and most savings accounts right now are paying maybe 45 basis points meaning they're paying about 0.45, they're not even paying a half percent interest. You know, if we're running at 2% of inflation and, and, and interest is only half a percent, we're losing a one and a half points on our money per year, just in the difference between inflation and interest rate alone. Just understanding that, I mean, shoot, getting into a general S&P index fund, it would be a good idea. Now, I am not a licensed financial professional. Taylor is. So any, you know, any financial advice I have is just, you know, uh, not don't act on it. Check with a certified financial planner. And I think it's really important from what Taylor said, if you're going to work with a financial planner, make sure you understand how they get compensated ahead of time. You know, my wife, uh, a number of years ago, um, a number of years ago had some money she earned uh, working summers from college. And she went to that investment, you know, an investment advisor who's somebody, a friend of the family. The investment advisor put her in a bunch of B and B funds. B funds are loaded funds, meaning that if you get out of them before five years, you have to pay a fee. The only reason, but the main reason why B funds exist, is because they pay the sale, they pay the financial services professional higher commission. <laughs> you know, if you're going to invest your stuff in long term, I mean, she ended up doing okay, not great, but we had to wait a number of years for her to get her money out, or else she would have had to pay penalties. You know, and and that's where I think working with a Define you know if you understand what what the fun, how the financial planner gets compensated, you know are they going to recommend products that you commissioned on or are you just paying them a flat fee? And that's what I really like about Taylor is he's fee based, meaning you pay for his time just like you would pay for a personal trainer, just like you would pay for a mechanic. And if you are going to work with a financial professional, I really recommend you do that. I'm going to have all of Taylor's uh, information down below in the show notes. I mean he's based out of San Diego, but he can definitely point you to somebody else in your area if that if that works for you taylor also does a podcast we talked about a little bit but taylor does a podcast called stay wealthy san diego where you know he obviously he makes a little riff on the the famous line from anchorman but he talks about different successful you know business people being successful here in san diego sharing ideas within the region of who's doing what and how well they're doing so he's just he's a good guy you have known him a number of years we met um yeah, I was a you know taught a couple classes. My wife taught a couple classes. One gym in downtown San Diego, and that's where I've met. And a couple of years ago, Taylor and I wrote an article or two, um, for you know for personal trainers about about investing. You know, because when I was personal training, I worked for a gym so I could have the 401k. So you know, a per certain percentage of every 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 dollar I earned went to my 401k tax free. That's the way I think. You know, and that's some of the money I manage now is the money I made you know 15 years ago. Working on the fitness floor of a big commercial gym, you know, and, and that's, that's, you know, I, I try to be aggressive with that. I try to follow it and I try to read, you know, I read, I subscribe to magazines like Economist, Business Week. I read Wall Street Journal whenever I can. And I try to stay on top of financial information because it takes a little bit of work, just like, just like getting what you want to do in fitness takes a little bit of work. You know, if you're a fitness enthusiast, you're listening to this podcast, you want to learn about fitness. If you're a fitness enthusiast, you'll probably read a couple magazines, men's health, women's health, because you want to learn more. And so yeah, today, all I was trying to do is trying to bring you an expert from outside the exercise world, but I'm trying to bring you an expert who can help you become more financially fit. And Taylor definitely fits that bill. So I really appreciate you stopping by. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to check out all about fitness. Hopefully, you got a little bit out of today's conversation. And I'm going to have information about how you can contact Taylor. I'm also going to have a link to his podcast, Stay Wealthy San Diego, below in the show notes, as well as his social media contacts. The only thing I ask, and here's the ask, the only thing I ask is that you take a minute to give me a rating on, uh, if, however you listen to this, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. If you just give me a you know, rating, you know you like the content, and if you have any questions, any fitness questions you want asked on the air, please email them to me at Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. So if you want me to answer an exercise or fitness-related question, I'd be more than happy to do that in an upcoming episode of A Quick Fit Tip. So thanks for stopping in. My Twitter is PeteMC underscore fitness. My Instagram is McCall underscore fitness. And my website is PeteMcCallFitness.com. Thanks for stopping by. Have a healthy day. And I look forward to having you tune in for future episodes of All About Fitness.